What's this one called again? These are called Familiani Waffle Wafers or Smaku Kakoim with cacao-flavoured cream. Oh, and you can really hear that through the microphone. That sounds great. Really? I mean, did we just start our own ASMR channel? I think so. Welcome to episode six of Voice Notes. I can't believe we're here already. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Every episode we've done so far, we've just been like... We're just relieved. We're just in shock that we've reached this point. We're in shock. Can you believe that another week has passed? No, I cannot. Queen, I've got here some snacks for us that I thought we can start off the pod with. Oh, lovely. So I was walking in Tesco and I thought, what could I get that was unusual? At Mm. first I was like, I want to go for something like crickets. You know how you can get dried crickets that are like in paprika? Mm -hmm. Didn't get those. At first I wanted like the Israeli snack, which is called bamba or bemba. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It's your word against mine. It's like a peanut butter chip and I saw Gal Gadot eat them. Oh. And I think she's awesome. So I thought I want it, I want us to eat them too. Mm. Instead, I landed on something called the Familni, which are waffle wafers. Osmaku Kakawim. You didn't find these in Tesco, did you? I found these in Tesco, Queen. Wow. So I'd like your review. Here we go. Some Polish snacks for us to taste. Good Honest. crunch. Okay. What do you think about the distribution of the chocolate between said wafers? (laughs) I think there could be more chocolate. I agree. I also think we're kind of on Great British Bake Off right now. And I'm projecting my desire to be on Great British Bake Off here in front of you. There are two layers of chocolate. I would ask either for a third or Mm. possibly Mm. for an added layer of like vanilla or something inside. So maybe a caramel for a bit of stick, a bit of goo. Mm. I was literally so close to picking up these caramel wafers by Tunnocks. Oh, now, yeah. Those for, are the classics. They are the classics. And for people who don't know what they are, I didn't know what they were until a short while ago. Tunnocks tea cakes, are they Scottish or are they English? They could be Scottish, actually. I believe they're Scottish. Should we check that? Scotland, well done. Thank you. Scottish Tunnocks tea cakes. So um, I opted not for those because I thought they're a little bit mainstream. I kind of wanted to go for something in the international section. I saw these and I thought that's got voice notes written all over it. Well, thank you for bringing these along. Oh, my Um, pleasure. I did try dunking them in my coffee and it it wasn't the best actually like that. You know how sometimes you can have like brioche that you dunk in a a cup of coffee? Love brioche, yep. I thought it was going to be like that. And it wasn't. It wasn't. They're quite dry is what I will say. Mm-hmm. So I can see the urge to dunk in some sort of liquid. <laughs> I think I was just searching for moisture. To help I'm... it slide down your yes. gullet a bit more smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Queen, how are you going? How's your week? My week's been fairly good, actually. It's been busy. It's been really busy. This week has actually, this episode has actually come around quite quickly for me. I haven't yet finished editing episode five. Too quickly, perhaps. Perhaps, but it's good that we're getting these down. I just want to say what happened whilst I was waiting to come here. Oh, yeah. I'm standing outside a cafe in Notting Hill. All of a sudden, I see this guy sprint out of the cafe I'm standing next to and he runs into oncoming traffic, goes up to this woman who was just kind of seemingly minding her own business, snatches the phone out of her hand and starts abusing her and saying, you stealer, you thief, F you, F you, F you. What a nasty man. Nasty man, right? Until I realised she had just stolen his phone. So she looks at him and starts kind of laughing in kind of like a really sick way. Oh, I can't imagine that. She was like, she was finding it funny that he was getting so aggravated. But anyway, he steals his phone. He ends up walking back in like furious. Like you could see he was like max rage, Mm. like Will Smith rage. Oh, 
I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, I look at this woman and she calmly and very slowly walks across the road, gets into the car and drives off. So the car was waiting for her. And then I thought, wow, okay, so that was a planned robbery. That was a planned Mm. thing is that she would go into Ole and Steen, find a phone on a table or someone who wasn't looking and just walk off. So uh, if anyone has ever had a story like that, I'd be very interested to know when it was, when it happened. I've heard of phones being stolen by motorbike people, like people on motorbikes. That's so crazy. That is so crazy. You were a witness to a crime. I was a witness. Wow. I should call up. Do you know what the car was that drove away? Did you catch the number plate? Oh, I would have done that. I would have done that. But then the other school of thought is like, they're obviously not in a good point themselves. Like they Mm. obviously probably wouldn't want to be doing that. I wonder how this happened. Do you reckon he was sitting down, had his phone out on a table, she came past and picked it up? Or do you think maybe he paid for his coffee and then put his phone down on the till or... I think either way, she had planned to go into there and knew that there would be, I mean, he looked like a hot dad. He was a hot dad, I would Mm. like to say. He was like mid-40s, kind of had a bit of like a dad bod, but I was This is good to know. This is good to know. I'm just drawing up a quick sketch right now, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Good that I'm getting this out before I start telling the police officer I was into this dad. Um, But yeah, he seemed positively enraged. Obviously, someone's Mm. just tried to steal your phone, but he got in there just in the nick of time. I mean, he literally took the phone off the robber, which is something that well, I've always kind of like sickly fantasized of doing, like catching someone stealing something. Like for me, it's my 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 bag, right? If I have my bag on one shoulder and someone come comes and gets it, I'm screwed. I've got my phone, my keys, my card, everything's in there. You know, the dream is that you go up to that person and you're able to like fight them and be like, hey, like give it back, you know? Yeah, that would be so cool. Well, that, that be that's fun? the reason I leave my bag on the floor in cafes. <laughs> Well, that's quite funny that that happened to you. I feel like you you have to be this, a certain type of person who invites that kind of uh, drama into your life. And uh, clearly, just wherever you go, you just see you see shit happen. I do see shit happen. I was actually sending a voice note, shock, to a friend of mine. And my live reaction was on that voice note. So I, could, I was sort of following it oh, all. Oh, nice. So then my words just slowly kind of melted into nonsense as I was witnessing this happen. Have you ever had someone steal anything from you? I don't think so. But I was once out for the day in London and I lost my iPod Touch. That's the only thing I've ever lost. iPod Touch, so what year would have that been? Well, I can tell you, it probably was 2009. Cute, iPod Touch. Bring back the days of iPod Touch. It was a second generation uh, in a blue case. If anyone's got it, it's mine. Um, (laughs) Cool now. (laughs) I did then buy a replacement, but fortunately, that's the only thing I've ever lost. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would have ever lost. I don't think so. I've heard of some bad pickpocket stories, but... Uh normally it's just phones. Like there are things that I wouldn't do in Sydney, for instance, you know, like when I first moved to London, I was always bag open, zip open. And Mm. then my sister and mum would say, Margot, like close your flipping bag. Like this is London. This isn't like a small town anymore when you can leave the car and your, the keys in your car. Oh my God. I actually have a bit of a story like that. There's this village near us at home and it's known for being, very liberal, very open, very free. And uh, apparently it's where the ley lines cross. There are like various ley lines in the country uh, where people of a slightly uh, hippier generation live. And they're super cool people in Forest Row. If you're a Forest Row fan, you know. Um, Anyway, I was going to a violin lesson and we were stopping to go like buy something from a shop. And for some reason, I left the car door open in the car park and my violin was on the seat in the back of the car. 
And we were gone for, I think, maybe half an hour. And somehow, none of us noticed that I'd left the door open. But number two, the violin was still there when we got back. And if you know Forest Row, is that what it's called? Forest Row. There are some of the worst violin thieves there in, in the world. And I know that just, I think, underneath iPhone and card is violins. Like what people want to steal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm I'm relieved for you that your violin was still on the seat because that would have been a, a hard. It would have been very sad. Night <laughs> would have been a, would have been an expensive loss. It would have been a very expensive loss, and also it doesn't matter what it is. If you've got something that's dear to you, like I know people who have lost earrings or umbrellas, like I've got some weird attachments to my umbrellas or shopping bags, or you know, it's just it, when you lose something you love, it hurts. It really does. Speaking of losing someone you love. To someone else in the workplace. Romance in the workplace. Boom. We did a little poll on our Instagram, which is voicenotes.pod. And you guys requested romance in the workplace. So you ask, we deliver. First of all, thank you for your engagement. And uh, please continue. We love it. We really do. Any message, any email, any voice note, we adore it. Have we had a voice note yet? We have. We have had some voice notes and they've been so detailed and just people sharing their stories and just either relating to something we've said or, you know, telling us what they'd like to hear more of. Thank you for engaging. Romance in the workplace. Now, I'm just going to ask your initial thoughts because I think I know what you'll say, but also, you know, it's important to note that obviously your workplace is full of men and (laughs) you're a heterosexual man. So Ed and I have had some great times. (laughs) (laughs) When the lights are low. Don't knock on the flow, okay? Wow. Was that, was that improvised? That <laughs> yeah. sounded pre-planned. Well, I had worked on it. Um, so tell me about that for you <laughs> and your experience. Well, I don't have any experience of that happening in the workplace, but I am a big fan of The Office. Oh, yes. My so favorite show. If Jim and Pam can do it, then I certainly believe in true love in the workplace. I guess on one side, if you meet in a workplace and you are doing jobs that are relatively similar to each other, you probably have quite a lot in common. So maybe that would lend itself to finding someone who is compatible with you in the workplace. I mean, that being said, if it goes sour, then potentially it's going to be quite awkward for not just you, but everyone else around you. What's your initial impression? Well, that's quite a rational way to put it. My initial impression is no, um, as in, no, I've never heard of workplace romances ending up like Jim and Pam's, although I find their love story so beautiful and yeah, just really special. We can only dream. But also Dwight and Angela, that's sort of how I picture most workplace romances being. One person in control, the other person less in control, kind of on and off. Maybe they end up together and get married in a barn. Who knows? What about Ryan and Kelly? I mean, that is just toxic. My favorite is when she dresses up in like this really beautiful dress and she's like, oh, is Ryan coming in today? (laughs) And they're like, yes, like, yes, he's coming in today. And she's like, "Um, I've got a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. Remember? (laughs) So what would you do if someone came on to you in the office? Of course, I know (laughs) that you work with men, but what would you do if if someone came on to you in in a different work environment? In my mind right now, I'm clearing all the desks, all the buildings out of the way. I'm going back to a white canvas and I'm building this scene from the ground up. Like a Sims. Yes, exactly. In this situation, I'm a single person and don't have any preferences. Great. So someone comes on to you in the office, 
do you like them back first of all yes do you, do you do like the person okay i mean otherwise that's that's that can i mean look that's a whole other topic but i think yes in this scenario we'll say you like them back okay and in this situation are you both in the same ranking so your colleagues or is this person a boss to you are you their assistant? Are they your assistant? I mean, there's so many layers with power play. Let's just say, for the sake of the argument, you're at the same level. Mm, you're at the same level on a different team, but you work on the same floor. Okay. In that situation, I don't think I'd necessarily rule it out. That's wonderful. Because if you do work in different teams and you had a thing between one person and the other and they were both single or whatever, then I kind of think that's probably okay. I mean, obviously, you have to weigh up the risks. I'd say no harm, no foul. Okay, now imagine that there is a power discrepancy between both of them. Uh, imagine we're dealing with like a senior member of this company and someone who is a junior or an assistant. Are they still in different teams? They're in the same team, but they're in different power levels. They're in different uh, rankings within that team. See, I already think that has changed. By being in the same team, I'd say that's probably too, too close. close to home. Wow. Jinx. So same team, I'd say no. Right. Uh, senior to you in different teams, I'd say this is getting a bit difficult. But senior to you in the same team, hell no. It's just like one of those things. I know you can't help who you fall for. I mean, it, it, there is this obviously forbidden fruit like, oh, I shouldn't, but I will. You know, it's kind of fun to push boundaries. I think as humans, we we quite like, it's like waving a red rag to a bull. It's like, I shouldn't do it. Okay, that makes it 10 times more exciting and fun. And let's see where this goes. How long do you think it's exciting for? Well, this is the whole thing of longevity. If you do meet your Jim and Pam equivalent, that's really beautiful. Then, then there's a love story potentially there. From the people I know who have had workplace romances, it kind of becomes a source of arguments for them if they become a couple because they're kind of like, well, at work you ignore me or at work you make me feel like this. Or it's like another element in their relationship that involves work. Like if I'm putting myself in that perspective now and I work with, you know, Will, I would kind of be like, that's a shame. Now we don't have anything to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like if if you're doing everything with your partner all the time. Mm, that is heavy. It's heavy. Because also in offices there are workplace politics that play. Things like um, employees who might brown nose the boss so they can get a little bit higher up or someone who might flirt their way into a meeting and become a director of a small team or something. And I guess, yeah, you don't want to get to the end of a work day, come home for your partner to be like, oh, why were you talking to such and such like that? Or That's it. I mean, I think there, especially as you said, it's interesting you mentioned about like the flirting. I think there is power in flirting that at like a healthy level that I believe, you know, people maybe believe differently. Um, but, you know, men and women can flirt their way into certain situations, whether that's like, I mean, obviously workplace harassment, we want to avoid at all costs, not funny, but sometimes it can be helpful. Like just, you know what I mean? Like gentle, mm. gentle flirting in order to sort of gain, um, I guess, power. I mean, workplaces, as you said, are full of power. Yeah, lots of power dynamics. Um do we have an example that we can bring up? We actually do, Dan, because someone very lovely and someone who shall remain anonymous wrote into us with a little dilemma and they would like us to sort of give them our feedback, which is really lovely and we appreciate anyone who sends in their, you know, issues or, or I guess, um, dilemmas. So 
Queen Dilemmas, let's give it a go. Hi guys, I have a little situation. Hope you can help. I've been talking to this guy that I work with over email, but not about work-related matters. It's clear now that we are flirting with each other and he often looks up at me during the day. I would be keen to take things further, but he literally sits three desks away from me in a different team at a higher level. I want to get to know him, but I'm very scared that it will ultimately end in tears and one of us will have to leave. Probably me. What do you suggest slash is this a stupid idea? A lot to unpack there, but first things to say is that you're not alone and that this has happened and will continue to happen as long as we are human and as long as workplaces exist. I would ask the question, is there really no one in your life where it would be less difficult to be in a relationship with them than this current one? I know a lot of people think, you know, you have one true partner, um, but I don't necessarily believe that to be true. I think you could, whatever you found in this person, I'm sure you could find in someone else. Is it really worth the risk? I don't I don't know if it would be. I don't want anyone to ever feel like they have to put themselves in uncomfortable situations. But let's say you do go out on a date or let's say you do start seeing them casually. What happens if you realize that you don't actually want to do this anymore, but then you feel like you need to because you're still seeing this person every day at work? It's quite hard to back out. I, I do agree with you on that front. I think it's really hard to back out of something Uh, that is casual. Whereas when you go on Hinge or when you're in a pub or a bar or a restaurant or whatever, or you meet friends of friends, you can kind of fizzle that out if, if it's not, you know, suited to you anymore. The stakes are much lower. The stakes are lower. But then is that part of the excitement and the interest? You kind of think I could have anyone, but I'm choosing someone who sits three desks away from me because they're really attractive and dating's really hard and I don't have time to date and I don't want to go on Hinge and be murdered by a rando, you know? Mm, I guess it is the kind of the convenience of having already kind of vetted them. I will say though, these work parties, we've already spoken about this, about how much alcohol is consumed at these work parties, yes. especially if, you, if there's like an open bar, you know, drinks are flowing. Also, it's kind of fun to see people that, you know, take themselves really seriously, let their hair down. Mm. You know, you're kind of like, ooh, what's, what's happening? But also, <laughs> So I like it. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for the work party because as this person mentioned, that is where a lot of these flings happen is around alcohol because you kind of, you lose your inhibitions and you feel relaxed, loosey-goosey. And then the next day you wake up and could possibly have horrific anxiety, mm. um, which is not nice. No it's one wants to go to work. It's not cute. No. I also wonder though, just for the longevity of your career, let's say you decide that you're going to, leave this job. So you've been thinking about this person for a while and then you give your month's notice or your six weeks notice and you're like, right, in six weeks I'm going to be out of this company. The stakes are a little bit lower now because if something doesn't go well within the next six weeks, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'll never see this person ever again. Maybe now's the time that I can just entertain this, see where it goes. But then what happens if in a few years time you realize you need to call on them as a reference or you end up working with them in some other company? Is it really worth it? I mean, I've been involved in a workplace romance and I think, you know, ultimately I had to leave. <laughs> so um, it wasn't it wasn't ideal. But but I think in, in my experience, at least, a, a lot of, um, you know, girls and guys find, you know, their co-workers attractive and there may be a little flirt, even if the other person's in a relationship. You know, these things just kind of happen. But, you know, often from, as I said, my experience, it's the women who have to leave because the men are either higher up in power or they're the ones who refuse to leave. And it's the women who go, you know what, I, I, I quit. I go because mm. I can't handle it. I can't hack it. Well, to this person who has anonymously emailed in, I think um, 
I hope we've helped answer your question. I really hope we haven't destroyed their hopes and dreams. But look, I mean, trust your gut and everything will be okay in the end. As we said last pod, this too shall pass. If it doesn't work out, that's a huge shame. We just hope that you value your career and put that first if it is important to you. This week, keeping on the theme of replying to people's emails, not that we want to get through them all in one week, but continuing on a theme, this week we're going to talk about hobbies and the process of turning them into a career. You and I are both creative people and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, being creative has always been a hobby to us. Absolutely. And then at a certain point you go, you know what, actually I want to pursue a career in this thing. And there's a moment in time where you go, "Ah, am I willing to give up the fun that I have doing this thing in my free time that I don't have to be good at to enjoy? Am I willing to give that up potentially for a job that I hope I will enjoy most of the time but possibly will come to hate and will no longer have a hobby to turn to, to escape from work. Because you're so exhausted at the end of the day, right? Yes, and because that hobby is no longer a hobby. So you asked me this yesterday and you were kind of like, what would you prefer? Because obviously I'm freelancing at the moment, so I'm doing a bit of writing, a bit of other stuff. I've got a few fingers in different pies. I saw Ricky Gervais say something the other day. I love Ricky Gervais. I think he's quite funny. He's very, very divisive, but also he just says shit how it is. And I love that. He was saying that our generation, we've seen and grown up with people like the Kardashians and YouTubers and, and creatives. My point being, we've seen people create money in extreme ways for themselves. So we think I can do that too, which is why I think our generation was such go-getters in the sense of like, we really, really, really push ourselves. Now, surprisingly, I did a poll on our Instagram, which said, what are you valuing most right now? Is it earning or kickstarting your career? Or is it travel, self-love, relationships, etc.? Most people put travel, self-love, relationships mm. and growth, which was lovely to see. But it was quite tight. Like the the percentage was was very close. Mm. So I would say that we are kind of torn as a generation. Is it pursuing a life that may seem kind of monotonous on the outside, but at least on the weekends, we come home to our painting or our knitting or our you know, um, Xboxing or our YouTube or our filming. Mm. Um, and the answer is I don't know where we sit. I mean, I know where you sit because you do your hobby as your job, which is quite cool, but also quite rare. Yeah, and I was just thinking now while you were saying that, that I guess probably while we're in school and if we go to university or whatever, our free time in the evenings isn't really spent doing fun hobbies necessarily. Like a lot of the time it's spent during school doing homework. You know, you come home from school and then you get on with your work in the evening or you do some big essay project over the weekend or something. So the idea of just having free time to sit and watch TV in the evenings without any other kind of external work that you have to do, I think is rare. And so maybe people in their early 20s these days because they've just come out of uni or just come out of school or whatever, they're still in that process of like, I'm expecting to do something in my evenings. I'm expecting to do something at the weekend that isn't just fun. Maybe that's where there's a slight overcompensation tending towards doing work, whether that is something creative or whether that's just having another job in the evening or I don't know, whatever. Mm. I would say it is quite rare to have your hobby as a job. And when I was considering whether or not I wanted to make music a thing for me, the, the big question was do I want to begin learning a whole new skill set or do I actually want to reinvest the time that I've spent over the last few years building up these skills and turning them into something as almost like a down payment on a career? Because I'd already been doing music for 
by the time I left school, probably 15 years. And that was thanks to the fact that your violin didn't get stolen out of the car seat. Exactly. Um, you know, I was in like music lessons from the age of four. So for me, it's just, it's always been a part of my life. Yeah. I considered having a career in aeronautical engineering. I mean, I loved cars. I still do like cars. Um, but that wasn't reason enough to go into a career in that. And my granny was like, oh, no, you should do that and then have music on the side. You know, music can be your your kind of side project that you keep doing. And then maybe at some point when you've done well in music, then it could take over. If your side project like builds up enough that it can take over from your main job, then, then maybe that will be fun. And maybe then you can right. be a musician. Or maybe then you'll have had the financial backing of your engineering job. Mm. But the reality was, I've already spent the last 15 years investing time in becoming you know, a musician or right. learning about how to make music, why would I not treat that as a down payment on a career uh, and instead start something totally new and only do music in my off time, which ultimately probably wasn't going to be that much. Right. It's interesting because, you know, I think people who have a hobby, it's this idea of like a hustle culture, right? You have a hobby, but it's almost like you're compelled to justify you know, why that hobby is important. It's like, I I journal, but like, I'm not going to sell that unless I want to make an award-winning drama, like a psychiatric <laughs> assessment. But like, you know, there are things people do. The example someone gave us was, you know, painting, like painting window frames or, or just painting for the sheer joy of painting. Mm. And I think, I believe someone asked them like, do you, do you sell your paintings? It's like, why would I need to sell my paintings? I don't believe this person does, but there's this kind of desire, and I'm guilty of it too, of turning your hobbies into something that you can sell. Um, I know people have done this with um, pots, like ceramic pots. They were doing it just for the joy of it and then thought, hey, I can can create an Instagram shop. So she was selling her pots on Instagram. Another example would be like health and nutrition, right? You love um, food and cooking, right? So I'm going to do a blog and get sponsored by XYZ. Um, I mean, is this, are we turning our hobby into hustle culture? Who knows? This is a hobby of ours, which is creating and presenting and, you know, catching up together as friends. Um, I almost think this is kind of an example of hustle culture. It's like, well, let's make a podcast. It's like, yeah, but if you're happy just being mates, then why can't you just be mates? Do you know what I mean? This is the last episode of the podcast. Which is why we're ending here. Um, No, but I think you're, I think you're right. But also don't you think money isn't the only currency of exchange? Like, you could make X amount of money by selling a painting, but you could also start a little Instagram page where you just happen to share photos of your prints every now and again and they get X number of likes and then you're chasing the likes or you're chasing the views or you're Mm. chasing the number of unique listeners or whatever. Like there's always going to be some currency that you can hold value to. Some kind of hustle. Yeah, even if it's not necessarily a monetary gain. I mean, you and I are looking at the stats now of like how many listeners we've had on this podcast and we, we want to increase that because ultimately the time we've spent doing it. I think that's the thing. Like if I were just to create paintings in my spare time, let's say I spend, I really don't know anything about painting, but let's say I spend 50 hours making some beautiful painting. Mm. If I keep that just for myself, I've spent 50 hours. If I put it out online and someone wants to buy it from me and they want to pay, I don't know anything about art sale, 500 pounds, mm-hmm. then okay, fine, that's worked out to so like 10 pounds an hour. If I put that up as a print and then I get, say, 10,000 people want to buy it for 15 pounds. Maths warfare. Wow, I've made My a lot of money. My brain's just like... I've made a lot of money off the same 50 hours then. I see what you mean. I mean, I can tell you my mum is an incredible artist. She is really, truly amazing. I'm I'm biased, but I'm also not because she is objectively incredible. And it's funny because at first she was never doing her art to 
sell. This was something for her that was a creative pursuit. It was something that she enjoyed doing so much. It was therapeutic. It was artistic. It was an outlet for her. And then she just became really, really good. And then people were, you know, slowly getting interested and wanting to commission her for certain pieces for their homes. So, you know, I think my mum's kind of the example of like the intersection where hobby gets recognised as monetary gain. And, and now that is her, you know, career path. She's an artist and, and she sells her work. Um, I think that is the preferred path. I think it should be anyway. I think it's bad when Like people, a natural trend. Yeah, because that that is ultimately all anything is before you get picked up or before you have your lucky break. I think it is that hobby that you have to invest time kind of uh, getting better and you know preparing yourself ultimately to be noticed by that person who's going to pick you up or mm. that company who's going to notice you and want you to work for them or whatever. I don't think it's natural or normal for someone who hasn't done anything or hasn't created anything to just be picked up by someone unless they've invested that time already in in kind of creating some skill. But people have that interest, you know, like I think especially our generation, we're greedy. We want that, as we said, that viral hit. We want the, you know, the recognition. We want people to go crazy on what we do. Um, it's it's kind of part of, of our upbringing. For sure. But I also think it's a really important reminder that it's okay to have hobbies that don't, you know, that you don't need gain from other people, that it's just for you. Um, and I'd like to ask you a question about something which I think you'll have some very interesting insight on. Okay. So someone very important to me said to me, you know, what what do you guys think about heart versus ego? Mm. So, I mean, this could apply as well. This could apply to workplace romances as well because, you know, the ego part of you was like, oh my God, they like me. And then the heart is like, meh, I could find someone else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so a heart versus ego in this context and hustle culture context your heart's telling you that you want to be making music in a barn somewhere for um, a community radio show. And it's not in London. It's a small it's a small barn, but you're really happy there. You've got a few chickens. You get eggs in the morning. And, you know, I'm getting carried away, but this is what I'm painting. Okay. And then your ego is like, no, Dan, you must stay in London and you must continue being a music producer and soaring for, soaring for success. What do you have to say about heart versus ego and how much does that play into you know your decisions that that you've made i guess by the time you get to that stage where you can choose that junction it it can't be about the money i'm guessing at that point so as in you're saying it's a rite of passage to get to the place where you can choose your heart like do you have to get to a certain place financially where you go okay i've done i've done my safety net now i can pursue what i really want to do well, I think I said to you in maybe episode four when we were talking about our recent respective trips to the countryside. Episode two. Was it episode two? Uh-oh, time warp. I know. I said that I saw lots of barns that I would love to turn into a studio. Yeah, that's where I was getting the image from. So in that respect, yes, I would love to have a little studio there. And I would love not to care necessarily about um, you know how many people I'm reaching or how much money I'm earning I'd love to be in that position of just making because I love making I'd say one thing that is incredibly rewarding about the ego side of things is that genuinely the higher flying clients make better music and me making something for my local radio station probably wouldn't feel as fulfilling because part of the reward is the fact that you're working with some of the most talented people in the industry 
And you get to be a small part of that. And that only inspires you to get better. I wouldn't say I've approached the London producer scene from a perspective of like trying to be, um, trying to like get the most money necessarily. But it's like, I've definitely been inspired by being surrounded by those types of people. So ego in that way can then lead to fulfillment and inspiration mm. because you're working with people who are probably very skilled and very talented and have worked really hard. So I, I, I do actually get that, that, you know, sometimes ego is not necessarily a bad thing. Ego can be really beneficial in lots of, you know, contexts. Yeah. Um, but then I think also on the flip side of that, where your heart is, maybe that's you taking two weeks off a year to go to like the countryside and and be in a barn and milk mm. the cows. And and I mean, cows weren't mentioned in, in your fantasy, but I'm just, you know, example. Yeah. So maybe it is actually something that we need to, and I say we, us, our generation, humans, people, need to actually carve out of our schedules to kind of satisfy what our heart wants when I was saying to you that with this podcast, like I don't really feel like we've necessarily taken time out of our other stuff that we're doing to make right. space for the podcast. It was like the podcast just gets added on top of the other that's stuff we're it. doing. That's it. And usually, unless you reach a point where you, you just kind of topple over and that's just the end. <laughs> Episode um, seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, um, then otherwise, you do just tend to add more and more things until you just physically can't take any more stuff. Totally. Um, just based, just going back quickly on your analogy there, I do think I would still love to work in the countryside, but for the people I'm currently working for. Okay, or, so it's just more a change of setting rather than a change of your actual job. Yeah, I love the job I have and I could do that job from anywhere. That's so, amazing. So in that sense, yes. So I guess for people who are kind of, you know, maybe split as to, um, you know, whether they're probably satisfying their ego more than their heart, I guess not an easy fix, but a suggestion could be listen to what your heart wants and and find a way to do that in a way that doesn't take away from the the ego, which is important. You know, ego pays bills. Ego allows you to go out for nice dinners with your mates and, and travel and see the world and, you know, not steal people's phones in coffee shops. Yeah, but I think that's also where money plays a dangerous part in the kind of dopamine effect of, you know, you feel more greatly rewarded by... Yeah searching those opportunities that are going to get millions of streams or or you know thousands of pounds in payouts and that can kind of trick you into thinking that you're being fulfilled in your heart money equals success right that's what we've been told that's what's been rammed down our throats since we were little is that success is a high paying job and is a house and is a car all those signaling things that we were speaking about last week um, but we know that that's not the case it's a part of it Sure, money is a ticket or a key to open certain doors, but money isn't success, money isn't happiness. No, no that's right. we're kind of at an age where we're like, really? But it's so nice. Mm. <laughs> well, at least, I mean, I, I mean, you know, you can't help it because you look around and you think, oh, you know, I'm shopping at Whole Foods every night. Okay, yes, please. But like, that's not, that's not success. That's just, you know, that's just a key. That, that's just, you know, an outlet for, yeah. for money. Yeah, it just gets you places, doesn't it? Um, I was thinking about this earlier, though. I think I think the reason that so many people start young with trying to find themselves a career is because ultimately we don't actually know how long it's going to take us to find something. And I wonder if if we started that journey of trying to find or try to build try to build our career later in life, whether we'd then be surprised. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm I'm 35. I'm behind. Is it going to be? Am I going to be 50 before I've actually yeah. like 
got myself anywhere. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's also a thing about when you're young, you can kind of bounce back because yeah. you're younger and fresher and maybe have fewer responsibilities too. But then I also see that as a reason to enjoy the freedom you have to go traveling and do all of those things as well. 100%. And that's why, you know, I was actually shocked at the results of the, um, at the, of the poll because more people were saying a priority for them at this age. I mean, majority of our listeners are mid-20s to early 30s um, and majority female and um, not by a lot, but by a small margin female. So it's interesting to kind of see where people's priorities are at. Um, I know that there is pressure on people our age to think about houses and, you know, where they're going to be. And you're kind of like setting up these building blocks for the rest of your life at this age. It's a really important age, but also it's like, we need to have fun. Like this Mm. is the age where we do stupid stuff and we learn from that and we move countries and we break up with partners and we, we discover new people and, and, you know, unlearn all the things that we've unlearned. Like, this is such a formative period of our lives, isn't it? Mm, it really is. Yeah. I think that's, you know, being able to travel and go to other countries or experience different cultures or, you know, meeting lots of different people, it kind of shapes you into the person you end up being mm. long term. I think ultimately, you know, you, you only understand life by living it. And, you know, once you reach an age where you've kind of been around the world and you come back again, you, you sort yeah. of have a, a greater perspective on even the boring day to day stuff. 100%. Do you want to finish up with a fun fact? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, I've got a fun fact. I don't know if this is true, but that is true to my theme of fun fact. That is correct. This is a fairly dark one. Here we go. Did you know that the reason little puppies love the sound of squeaky toys is because dogs are descendants of wolves whose instincts include hunting smaller animals? Wolves. Wolves? Wolves. Wolves. Oh! The sound a squeaky toy makes is very similar to the sound that a small animal makes when it's being hunted. No way. Yeah, it's probably bollocks. No, I like that. That makes sense because I've always wondered why would they love that that high-pitched squeal? It just makes no sense to me. What about you? What's your fun fact? Well, I'm glad you asked, Dan, because nutmeg is a hallucinogen. Oh. The spice contains myristicin or myristicin, a natural compound that had mind-altering effects if ingested in large doses. So I hope that you guys don't start sniffing nutmeg. I think that probably wouldn't be, um, you know, kosher. But if you maybe do want to do like a little potpourri, a little bit of a hot water, nutmeg in the pot, a few slices of orange, and you've got yourself a nice little hallucinogenic potpourri that will waft throughout your house. Watch me do that and burn my entire building down. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, there's nutmeg everywhere. What the fuck? Um, Second one for you. Oh, thanks. Sorry, I'm I'm getting a bit... uh, a bit greedy. Um, the Spanish national anthem has no words. The Marcha Real is one of the only four national anthems in the world, along with those of Bosnia, Herzegovina, Kosovo, and San Marino, to have no official lyrics. So maybe that's why in Spanish football games they don't sing. I always just thought they were being divas, but there's no lyrics. Well, there we go. You learn something new every day. Every day. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoyed it. Next episode, we are going to come back with some tasters, some fun things to taste. And I do hope that they'll be more exotic than chocolate wafers. Okay, give me a break. It was my first segment. Okay. No, I enjoyed them very, very much. I'm glad. You're all wonderful people. We really appreciate you logging on today. And we hope to see you next week, Monday at 5. Stay tuned for another voice note. Adios.
Arrivederci. Thank you.